Hi, and welcome to the Writers' Forum. I'm David Benedetto, and today I'm very happy to be joined by members of a poetry group uh, named The Class. Uh, they are here with me, four of them, uh, three poets and their organizer, uh, Sean Jackson. And I will get them to uh, introduce themselves on microphone right now so you know who's talking. And uh, you can go ahead, guys. My name is Henry Goldcamp. I'm a local poet, originally from St. Louis, though I've lived here for the past five years, and I'm a member of The Class. My name is Bobby J. Morris, and I live in Araby, Louisiana, and I'm uh, originally from the Midwest. Hi, guys, um, and ladies, of course. Mm -hmm. I'm Kai Alexandra Mills, a poetry named Kay Alexandra, and i originally Detroit native, um, schooling through Mississippi and New York, and now here in New Orleans, part of the class. Yes. My name is Sean Jackson. I'm the organize and organizer mm -hmm. coordinator with the class. I'm very honored and privileged to be associated with this group of poets and writers. Well, fantastic, guys. Well, thank you for being here today. I appreciate y'all coming on. Oh, you're welcome. Well, so for starters, how did the class come to be? In April 2016, um, I, Sean Jackson, served as a community partner to the New Orleans Public Library in a presentation of Dr. Peter Cooley. Dr. Peter Cooley is the 2016-2018 Louisiana State Poet Laureate. And at that time, Dr. Cooley had been appointed to his position by the governor. So it was a very exciting time, and it was um, extraordinary that I could work with the library to organize Dr. Cooley in a workshop with a number of writers and poets who were, you know, come from different walks of life, different areas around New Orleans and I could say the state, really, uh, to talk about their poems, analyze them, grow with Dr. Peter Cooley. And that was the first session. And then the second session, all of the poets who participated in the class did a public reading and Dr. Cooley read as well. From that point, to my understanding, there was kind of a relationship that developed among the poets that they wanted to continue. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting because I got an email from the library one day asking it to continue some work with the class. And, and it was explained to me, well, the class, it's the group that worked with Dr. Poop. Peter Cooley, and that's what they've come to name themselves. And I was, no, it was just wonderful to get the email and to have another opportunity to uh, see these people. Yeah, and no, I think that's wonderful that this kind of uh, arose organically and that y'all were able to establish these relationships. Oh, what was that for, like for y'all uh, as being poets in the group and kind of meeting all these people and letting kind of the conversations flow? Organic's a really good word for it. It was just sort of this hodgepodge of people that were interested in this um, free offering for a workshop with such a prestigious poet. And I think that it just started with the fact that we were all like-minded, that we wanted to jump at that opportunity, that it was a pretty strong foundation for us to continue doing things like this and readings around town. And it's been uh, a huge success so far. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think it was um, kind of like like Breakfast Club meets Dead Poet Society. I'm thinking of all, <laughs> all these great films where people in poetry like really come together in stories. Um, and it was it was cool because I think each of us in our writing like brought a specific story. Um, just thinking about uh, Chris traveling now and uh, Lauren like getting her degree. Um, like 
each of us were bringing like some sort of spice that kind of like made this gumbo pot. I love it. Yes. Um, <laughs> and uh, Dr. Cooley too, like bringing his own story. Um, I think now he's teaching, still teaching at Tulane, I think. Um, and just kind of mediating that process. He never really wanted to like interrupt the flow. He was just kind of like mediating all of us yeah. having conversations about poetry. Yeah, no, I think that that's really kind of an amazing thing. I mean, uh, writing in, in general has a long history of like, you, know, you look at the salon structure of the uh, of the last century, people coming together to exchange ideas in an artistic manner. It's really helpful uh, to writing and bringing people forth. I think that's really kind of a cool thing. Um, well, tell me about... Uh, Tell me about what kind of each of you are doing individually right now. What projects are you working on? You know, actually, that little session with Peter Cooley um, introduced something about my work that I hadn't really ever encountered before, really kind of where my poem starts in the body of writing that I have written, which was a kind of an interesting um, revelation. And, um, And among other kind of interesting things that occurred in that just, you know, short workshop, but um, there's been a lot of writing that's been kind of drummed up over the last year and a half or so in New Orleans, and um, right now I'm working to put together a, a, actually a music album, um, you, you ma- making these songs slash things um, out of poems I wrote actually before New Orleans. So. Hopefully I'll be finishing that up in uh, in July. And then the body of work that I've kind of written since I've been in New Orleans, I hope to do something similar with after this little album thing yeah. gets put together. Oh, cool. Cool. Um, I uh, actually admittedly ran from writing a little bit. Yeah. Um, it got a little bit intimidating after like getting a degree in it and having this expectation of, okay, now I have to go out and write for real. Um, and I kind of ran to the next next thing, which is teaching. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, teaching for me allowed me to like explore other minds and, uh, introduce poetry to them. Um, and ironically, uh, the library that we were all housed at the Alvar street library is right across the street from the school that I was working at. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was nice to kind of, be doing my thing and then going back to my students and telling them about the things that they could be doing through the library. But now I think I'm not so afraid anymore. Uh, So I'm kind of looking for other projects to do. But the other side of it uh, is advocacy work. I feel like writers have a responsibility to like be involved and like be the storytellers of what's going on. And uh, New Orleans is having a really, uh, interesting change of pace right now and uh that change of pace has led to me being approached with a good friend of mine um to give firsthand accounts about uh the monuments being taken down i'm really excited to like add to that experience and like see what other people come up with in terms of how the political climate of new orleans is changing that's interesting that's a really interesting thing and uh I'll let uh, I'll let Henry go uh, next, but I want to return to that actually. Picking piggybacking off of that, Kai, um, I think that yeah, my current project that I'm working on is a full length uh, poetry collection. Uh, it's working title right now is Denim Lemonade, and it sort of speaks to the other side of things and sort of a tongue in cheek approach of laziness is virtue. 
Mm-hmm. And so sort of on the other side of things, the people that are just sort of uh, silent or complacent with the way things are and, you know, people that don't want to take sides on such a, you know, a prime example would be the monuments currently where I, yeah, so it's sort of uh, commenting on that and approaching that from a more of a humorous angle. Yeah. Um, a, a dark humor to be sure, but humor nonetheless um, and so, yeah, I do, I agree with that as writers, you do have an, a responsibility to comment on the time that you're living in and the locale that you're living in as well. Um, so yeah, that's really kind of taken up most of my time is, uh, focusing on putting this manuscript together and, uh, in the, in the process of submitting it to different publishers to get picked up. Yeah. Great. Great. Um, well, cool. And I think that that is an interesting fact. And I think I wanted to address with y'all is what do you think it means to be a writer in New Orleans right now? And why is that important? Oh, gee. Um, and this is like strictly transplant speaking. Um, I think it's really like eye opening to come from the outside in and kind of get knee deep in the work mm-hmm. and getting to know your audience, uh, getting to know yourself like. Detroit and New Orleans have a lot of things in common, uh, age and demographic included, Mm -hmm. but you're still switching mindsets about uh, regional differences, language, culture, traditions, religion, even the way that like people come together and present and like share their stories. There's a great collective of, of writers and poets in Detroit, uh, my own, my own family. I I come from a collective of writers. I'm I'm really excited to see uh, my family grow in that. But to be able to like branch out and spread my wings and like get to know a different vibe of people here in New Orleans and like understand like what is it that's pressing them? What is it that makes them put pen to paper? That's really an interesting experience too. And like trying to see how that manifests into what's going on around us. It's it's heavy, but it's it's good. Yeah. What about you too? You know, um, I don't know if I knew what to expect when I moved down here, and I, I mean, if I could say anything that has occurred to, for me, and you know, as a writer, I guess, but maybe as a human um, in this place since I've moved down, it's just um, I've just been filled with learning just by just by being in this place. And um, I feel like that is maybe my prime responsibility as, I mean, once again, as anything, but maybe specifically as a poet or a writer is to like actually feel what's going on in my environment. Like just like expose myself to what's actually happening and let it, let it seep into me. And then, you know, however it comes out in the words I actually put on papers, I don't know, it seems a little bit beyond my control, but at least I've done the work of, you know, exposing myself to what's actually happening in the place I'm in. And then hopefully that, you know, that comes out, you know, through my voice in whatever way it can. Yeah. I get that. Carrying it and then, you know, serving as a conduit. Um, Yeah, exactly. Interesting. I think the thing that I learned um, moving down here uh, in about the first year, you have a town like New Orleans that has such a literary history that's rich and deep. And you would expect it just to bombard you just simply by being here. And it does in a way. I I do agree with Bobby. But there was also this element to it that you really do need to engage yourself and you need to make a conscientious effort to 
submerge yourself in the literary community if that's what you want to do. Things aren't just going to manifest themselves without your involvement. Mm -hmm. um, in that vein, a big shout out to the two consistent reading series in the city, uh, Dogfish with Jessica Kinnison, and uh, shout out to Meg Burns at BJ's in the Bywater for the Bloodjet Poetry Reading Series. And those are two excellent reading series that sort of get you involved, get you to meet people that will push you to create new work and to inform you in different ways in your writing and what you'd like to write about. And that those were just extremely helpful for me to get a foothold in the city. Definitely. I think read, reading and having your community, both writers and non, is extremely important. Like Dr. Cooley and I, like in a personal conversation, he used this I get this storyteller vibe from you, and I think that you should start doing NPR's The Moth. And I was like, I listen to that all the time, but I've never really, like, pushed myself to, like, get out there. And then I started going to Cafe Istanbul and first just, like, just listening. Yeah. Um, and then submitting for stories and getting up there and performing. And, of course, you think you have all the time in the world, but five minutes is actually, like, really, really fast. <laughs> um, but it's really liberating, and it's and giving yourself a topic too, yeah, um, just helps you hone your skills, and like me getting those collectives. There are all all types of writers that get together, and they're like, oh, we're doing a story group, or we're doing a potluck dinner, or we're doing meditation. Because um, I think a lot of times our artists, we as artists, we as creators, we as all these other different adjectives and nouns don't take care of ourselves really well. Yeah. Um, and we're and we're constantly trying to heal and take care of other people and uplift and storytell and do all these other things that we forget about ourselves a little bit. So but even with like the class like emails me or checks in on Facebook or I'm able to see what they're doing and they're able to see what I'm doing and we we, we reconnect all over again. Sometimes yeah. even when we haven't been in a physical space altogether in like what a year, six months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, December was the last time we all saw each other in one space. If I may, I think this is a great time to revisit a couple of things that have been introduced, and it's one, the Alvar Library branch, where the workshop and reading with Dr. Peter Cooley took place. And I just have to say that the staff at the New Orleans Public Library and the Alvar branch worked so hard to make this come together. It wasn't just a logistical project. It yeah. wasn't just um, programming that needed to be put in place so it could be on paper. Mm -hmm. There was this real concern and understanding that there needed to be time. There needed to be space. There, people needed to be comfortable. People needed to feel like they could write they could explore. So it was about enriching the environment. And then also we are speaking about the class, which started at 12. We lost a few members. Well, well because they just, a couple had other things to do. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then one of our members has moved out of state. <laughs> However, I did leave him a message saying he could be a satellite. I remember if he likes, so I'm waiting to hear from him. But I won't throw his name out there so he won't, until he answers. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but, of course. But I do want to just if at least list the names and give a few facts about the other yeah, class please, members. Please. But I want to start with these three wonderful poets who are here today. Henry, can you tell us just a couple of things about yourself? 
Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I, I, like I said, I'm originally from St. Louis. Um, I was very involved in the public art scene there, particularly literary-based public art projects. Um, the biggest one so far was a project by the name of What the Hell is St. Louis Thinking, where I set up 60-plus uh, typewriters throughout the city in public spaces and simply just said, type your thoughts here on a box. I compiled those thousands upon thousands of answers into a little art book. Um, and that that took me uh, into some interesting places. NPR picked up the story. Time.com picked up that story. And so that was really um, engaging and kind of helped me uh, make a lot of context around the city, especially within the literary community there. Um, upon moving down to New Orleans, um, I basically had to start from scratch and, and learning the people here and things like that. And I started taking my own uh, writing much more seriously and focusing on that as opposed to the public art aspect, more of the private, private writing and then you know, reading it publicly. Mm -hmm. And so far, it's been uh, my best year yet. Uh, recently, I've been published in the Blood Orange Review, Sierra Nevada Review, Fully at Oak. Yeah, so I mean, shout out to those those guys. And um, yeah, so it's been it's been going well. Oh, great. Okay. Bobby, would you like to speak about Black Rock Impact <laughs> and Cis Poems? Um, sure. Um, yeah, I had a prior life after school. I studied accounting, actually. And, really? Um, <laughs> <laughs> very, very, very different life. I loved it, actually. <laughs> so much more simpler. Yes. Simpler than poetry. Um, straightforward. Um, but I went, I lived in New York City for six years and um, worked at um, actually the world's largest investment firm. Um, and I started a... Um, that was a fun project. It was... I'm so glad I'm not doing it anymore. But... Um, <laughs> It was, uh, we started a, a group within BlackRock, which is called BlackRock Impact, that um, is now a business unit, fully functioning business unit that launches investment products that allows um, pension funds or individuals to direct their dollars to projects and companies that um, are measurably addressing things like climate change, poverty, uh, water scarcity, um, and, you know, any other kind of um, health issue. So um, it was a big, long project, and um, I wore a suit every day, and, <laughs> and then I left. <laughs> okay. Well, just a couple of things about www.saysepoems.com. Oh, um, yeah, I mean, I have some of my, um, excuse me, some of my work online. You can go to www.saysepoems.com, and um, there's six poems um, on that website. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Kai, you earned your MFA in New York. Yeah. Obviously, Bobby and I have run across each other in past lives. Um, mm -hmm. and although I've never seen him in a suit, so he owes me that. Um, um, I got my MFA at Long Island University um, in Brooklyn, New York. I was winter class of 2014. Some of the best teachers, some of the best writers. Uh, one of my like budding communities to where like I was able to do all sorts of things like tutor students, uh, create poetry curriculum, get knee deep with uh, some writers. I even started uh, this book here in terms of keeping quotes about just some of my favorite poets, uh, Alice Notley, um, Dorothea Lasky, um, Kyle Schlesinger, Lewis Warsh, 
just just some other names and I know I shouldn't shout out all my classmates because they'll be on Facebook like you didn't shout me out on the radio. <laughs> um, but really, uh, just trying to get back in touch with not only my academic roots, but um, just my community, my familial roots, um, my cousin, my best friend, um, Shani the Hippie. She's like taking Detroit by storm yeah. right now. Um, just doing all sorts of poetry collectives and uh, artist shows and workshops, just getting people involved all across the across the world, but really starting in our hometown. Um, and I'm trying to do the same thing here in New Orleans, uh, whether with my students or um, with the various political affiliations. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to make make roots and. Uh, it, it's it's taken a while, but I, I'm starting to feel it. And New Orleans is starting to feel like home. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Uh, one of the things that I love about the New Orleans poetry scene in particular is this engagement with community. And that's a big focal point in a lot of uh, modern authors and writers and poets coming out right now, which is really important. It's not about being in the uh, the ivory tower anymore and focusing on your art. It's about how can I make this important to the community as well as it being aesthetically, you know, uh, important and pleasing. And I, I think that's really wonderful to see, you know, a group like yourselves really pushing that forward. Thank you all very much. And the, I'll just speak briefly about the other members of the class. Mm -hmm. We have Esme Franklin. She's earned an MFA in poetry from Warren Wilson College. She is also the poetry editor for Rise and Press. Mm -hmm. We have Ben Shire, who some people have, who may have seen in the French Quarter. He's a poet for hire. He works with the manual typewriter. So people can approach him and ask for a poem about a particular topic or theme. And he produces those poems. He's done that work around the world. And he is he has work forthcoming in the Iowa Review. And he has left New Orleans for Hamburg, Germany. Mm -hmm. He's in, going to be an artist in residence at the Kunschlerhaus Wallstief. Oh, good pronunciation. <laughs> Bravo. <laughs> Lauren Burgess, who you'd mentioned earlier. Lauren, she studied at the University of New Orleans, and she elevated to editor of Ellipsis, the oh. literary, literary sorry, magazine there at the, at the school. Stacey Balkin, who's an incredibly talented writer, and she has just a, a great stage presence, has an MFA from Fresno State. She is... Also, the chapbook series editor for Sundress Publications. She recently published a book of poems, Jackalope, Girls, Jackalope Girl Learns to Speak, ah. which is really deep yeah. <laughs> and interesting. It's, if you get the book, read at least half of it straight through. Yeah. And you'll hear, feel, and understand the connection, and you'll get the story that the, poem is the poems are telling. Christopher Romagetta. He is, is traveling South America from most of 2017. He is writing simultaneously. He's excited about coming back to New Orleans and sharing some of those pieces with us. He is also the first person in his family in at least two generations to return to Cuba. So this trip is really important to him in a familiar sense. He's been published in the Middle Gray magazine and the Daily Beast. He's also done some political work. Ah. He did a reading before he left as a, a a member of the class, but it was a solo reading. And he spoke about when he went to um, 
certain rallies and had certain experiences mm-hmm. and were able to write about them. And uh, Tiana Nobile. Tiana is a, is a right. She was studying MFA in the MFA program at Warren Wilson as well. And she was also a teaching student. And she had the honor of being a Kundaman fellow. So thank you very much. Oh, no problem. And Sean, before you pass the mic back, uh, we've gotten to talk with these these wonderful people so far, but I did want to talk to you a little bit about, because you have a, a varied history in outreach and artistic endeavors, uh, everything from working uh, as a theater artist and educator to the project coordinator for the National Performance Network. Yes. Uh, what got you interested in uh, being a proponent for the arts? And like, how have you continued to follow through with that? It was always my career goal to work in the arts. Yeah. Uh, my first focus was on what people may consider the commercial arts, yeah. the feature films, the television shows, the the more you know, inter more of the larger entertainment presentations. And on my road to doing that, I got exposed to nonprofit arts mm-hmm. when I left college. First, worked in public relations for a very short period of time. And then got on to touring with a theater group whose shows had a message. And from there, I got connected with different networks and organizations that hosted and supported artists with the same mindset, meaning our work is going to do some do some good. Not that commercial ventures don't do any good, but this is going to have a a message. It's going to be presented in a way that hopefully people will listen, Uh, you know, sometimes. I think just by default, things can get combative. But a lot of these artists were very well trained and very um, willing to pull themselves back. (laughs) So that people would listen to them, not necessarily just want to exit the room. (laughs) So that's what kind of started me in the early 90s. Okay. Yeah. I think that's interesting. Uh, well, thank yeah. you for, I mean, it's, it's awesome that, that you're doing this and able to continue it for so long. Yes, I'm very honored. Like, I, I cannot express how great it is to be connected with these guys. Oh, great. Well, uh, we're, uh, well, go ahead. Go ahead. I just wanted to say, uh, I did want to just speak to that, and I think I speak for all three of us, that Sean Jackson really is sort of the fuel <laughs> on this fire and sort of keeps everybody on their toes and keeps this thing going. And it really is an open heart of gratitude from all of us for everything that she's done to keep this going and to keep in touch. And really, I mean, she is up there with Mr. Rogers in yes. my book, with just the generous spirit. And there's really, it's just wonderful to, to have her on board with us. And, and she really is the sort of the captain of the class, I would oh, say. Oh, thank you. Which I'm getting funny. a t-shirt. <laughs> oh, captain, my captain. Uh, no, I, I, having uh, been in a relationship with a poet for a long time, sometimes working with poets can be like herding cats, so it, it's very much appreciated, I know. with <laughs> <laughs> The class poets, like a lot of art, artists I know, are they're extraordinary. <laughs> they really are, and, and they're incredibly talented, which you'll hear. And I hope agree with me when you um, when you uh, they do their poems here today. Yeah, definitely. Uh, speaking of which, I, I would love if each of you could read a few selections of works that you uh, you have with you right here. Have at it, Henry. Absolutely. So these are all from my working collection, Denim Lemonade. And again, that is uh, a tongue-in-cheek approach to laziness as a virtue. And so we're going to start in the past, and this is just. Um, Ekphrastically from a denim fashion book that I have, and it was a picture of the Levi's 
501s, but it was the 1953 version. And so I just sort of meditated on that photograph. And it's really, a, it's, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful fabric and it's a beautiful gene. And so this is uh, a poem that came from that. Levi Strauss and Company, 501 Jeans, circa 1953. I pet the fur of your ochre thread, your white speckled skin of night mountains, cursing their murk into your legs while your stiff tag predicts the future mile, welcomes my fresh kill of belt, its rotten shoulder and working copper rivets like resplendent, resplendent boulders eddying blood out of their smooth navels just after a cloudburst quiet yawn, leaking the California countryside you sprouted from, grown strong from the discipline, blooming smoke of both factory and field, two horses pulling at my leathery, wet breath, whose hanging dew always floats west. Dawn sparks its stodgy red tag, numbers hot like a trigger, a rig stitching up a lake. Its heliolatry, blinkered in white glimmerings, boasts its wares, tiny golden blue flakes. Superstitious is God when he holds his breath whenever galloping by hell. And so to juxtapose that, um, we have the more modern, modern day uh, sort of calling out, uh, particularly millennials, but not all. This is called Denim Lemonade as Jellyfish. My hair bear roommate was hungover. Me too. I make a grilled cheese sandwich, barely. First bite, all the cheese spills onto my bare foot, scalding hot. I shake him out of hibernation. He scolds me. I tell him he needs to pee on my foot. He's tired and obliges me. Wikipedia, it's not grilled cheese burns, but jellyfish stings. My bad, man. So that's a silly one, and we'll end with a sillier approach to an even more distant past. So this is simply denim lemonade as the blood of Christ in his BAC, and this is actually set to appear this in this month's Sierra Nevada Review. Oh, how hungover you must have been the day after. What a day, what a dawn to get hung up on morning wood. We all have our suspicions, save your blackout. I think she was looking at you midnight, new calendar year, Jew tongue, few ears listening. Everyone talking so loudly, feeling baptism fresh, scrubbed clean of zealothood. Where did you go? You pass out? You wake up sick and walk out to snack on the night's fig tree? Did you ask yourself some private questions? Did your eyes adjust to the moon pool? Lucky? You prophesize drunk dialing? Mary bends like torches black like pawpaw's flowers. When Judas went into a sneezing fit, weakness counts for pollen and silver? Yatharam hala. Oh, sick morning of boiling sun in your stomach. You wouldn't have rolled out until noon. You chugged a jug and fried tilapia with olives. You can't anoint your own feet if you can't reach them. Let's hope and pray they let you stretch first, dust yourself off. Knowing you, just smelling water could make you yak last year's magic. Sex exhales steadily from each saintly, faded crevice. Oh, migraine. Oh, crown of thorns. Oh, blood pulsation. The king applauds his scaly jester. Your right bicep kills you from our wrestling fill. We know the nails hurt because a damn nail in your wrist would still hurt now. Not much changed since. Red leaks into yellow bruised shore. Sand blanket, grunting green hell. Soft noises of worried family waking, yawning, sinking back to sleep and sweat. Snorts, farts, turns away. Cluttered wagons rolling past your clay window. Screws rattle between your jolly sin and your big mistake. Thank you, Henry.
Thank you. It's called a lecture. I saw this gentleman once talk to his own kind from a pulpit. I saw him give nothing of him and yet give them floods of things. He wanted to pass by him. He looked at them as if they were the ones he needed to keep away. He sent them, he sent floods of things at them, at them. I saw him try to keep them away. And yet they had no choice but to advance. They had no choice but to advance. The flood behind them was more tangible. The flood behind them was more dark. The flood behind them had no space. It wasn't that they wanted to advance upon him. It wasn't that he had anything they wanted. It wasn't that he had anything they didn't want. He just was facing the wrong way. This is called, I'm so far gone. I will not eat your broken food in order that you might cry. I cannot stomach any more of it. My soul has chosen otherwise for me, and so I leave you with what you claim to be important. I hope to God you don't find company, lest it allow you tolerate your exile any longer. You are looking for anyone to dine with you on your old, old dinner, the same dinner you've been eating since high school. I cannot join you there, old friend. I cannot confirm a lie you seem to need more of before it's made apparent to the one who initially felt it, who initially was lied to. Keep going, my brother. But my dinners, my dining on past dinners, have ceased to provide any additional sense of gratification. I'm so far gone. I'm no longer on the same planet. This is called, I just want to be in your swimming pool all night. You think your kiss has no power. You think the world doesn't know you either. Your holiness has been hidden to you, but the wolves haven't gotten it, neither. We're left waiting for your face, and we're not all that frustrated, either. Your beauty has to get, has to, get to be known by you, and that ain't a task we're up for, neither. You wear the garb you bought in heaven, and you wouldn't give it up so easily either. You know there's power in your step tonight, and you ain't afraid of it, neither. The glory has come upon you, my dear, and your body ain't rejecting it either. Now bring it all upon us, dear, cause we don't want to be here, neither. I just want to be in your swimming pool all night. I don't want to go home in the morning, either. Thank you so much, Bobby. Yep. Guy, okay, bring it on home. I'll try. Um, uh, to give a little background about my first piece, um, earlier last year, um, or this year, dates start to blur, um, Nikki Giovanni was in town, and she gave a really great insight into um, her relationship with James Baldwin. And uh, one of my favorite places in the city, the Contemporary Art Center, um, uh, had this lecture uh, for James Baldwin with a film series and a presentation. And uh, her speaking, obviously, is just phenomenal, um, as well as um, Clint Smith, who's uh, one of my favorite poetry books this year, Counting Descent, was just amazing. Mm. Um so I wrote this piece about her. Uh, in the presence of Nikki G. Mm -hmm. 
hearing her speak was like my favorite auntie invited me to dinner because I was finally old enough to drink except instead of getting drunk we got high instead off the advice your mama wouldn't give you because young ladies don't talk like that you know that straight talk no chasing the bull that small talk brings stop doing ish you wouldn't want to do with people you don't like she said and though we all hear advice on self-care preserving your spirit and protecting your aura it ain't the same as a woman with hair as salty as the rim of a margarita glass telling you once and for all that those who don't matter don't mind and those who don't matter should mind they mother freaking business she name dropped with the class of an Upper East Sider instead of someone who had been hustling books with crooks off Broadway. My hands hurt from the finger snapping and tongue smacking because I wanted to be above the applause. For the goddess turned poet who happened to pledge the baddest sorority and the mention of sisterhood. So cool in the resume she didn't even check mine. And just like your favorite auntie, she completely forgot what she was supposed to be talking about. But that didn't matter to the confidence of one who always has some cool ish to say. It's been a minute since I've had some cool ish to say to address the writer in the room and the listener at the door, just hoping to see what this woman's going to say next, praying that the questions linger on her mind like her poetry remains on mine. Mm -hmm. And kind of keeping with that. I have a piece that is not titled yet, but it is dedicated to uh, the four corners of my world. I, I feel like, again, with like community building and being a writer and being a black woman, you have these pillars that kind of hold you up all the time. And my and my pillars are they wouldn't say that they're perfect, but they are perfect for me. Hmm. Um, so this is for. Clarissa Milan Kern, uh, Chantel Watkins, Kristen Gary, and Raven Douglas. Poetry is nothing more than writing spells, and I am embraced by witches, enchantments that cannot be quite encapsulated, very often imitated by the intimidated, the essence of the black woman. Wherever hippies or sorceress or billionaires abound, their radical ravenness, their light, their joy, their sisterhood surrounds me little old me because when i am alone i weaken in the mirror of my own falsehoods but with them with them the sisterhood of my survival pushes the reflection of truths that i am the third smartest person she knows and i have degraded depression with two degrees and that in each moment that i yearn to be the to best the master that is time and turn, I learned not to give my umbrella away in the middle of a thunderstorm. So we dance and we cry and we put on makeup and we borrow hearts for we are only thieves of that that has willingly been given. And in the midst of the new moons and retrogrades, I scribe the message that my sisterhood engraves every moment that the master of time gives us together. Give them the you that you give us and your magic will never die. Mm -hmm. And one more uh, entitled Quite Candid. I am the hook of your dopest poem, mm -hmm. the muse of your wettest dream. To love me to the moon and back would be nonsensical because I never want your feet to touch the ground. Am I making you high, beloved? Are you dizzy in the satisfying haze of what is to come with the aphrodisiacs of our intertwining lives? 
All I'm asking is for you to climb the vine growing with our minds rooted in the moments that have yet to take flight and our fantasies as we spice up our realities. Come explore your best life with me. The best taste you can see. Great. Thank you so much, Guy. You're welcome. All right. Well, that was great, guys. Um, Before we head on out today, I was wondering if you could uh, let listeners know uh, where they can find out more information about you or what you've got upcoming. Um, For me, the best way to contact me or just follow what's going on with new publications would be via Instagram. And my handle is just at W-T-H-S-T-L. Cool. And um, this is Bobby, and you can find hopefully an upcoming album at Bobby J. Morris, Bobby the letter J. Morris dot bandcamp dot com. And I am on Facebook, uh, K. Alexandra Mills. I am also on Twitter and Instagram at K. Alex is right, right, spelled W R I T E. Yeah. And uh, just keeping up with all our projects. And uh, it's been great getting back together with some of my classmates. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to you guys' projects. Um, also wanted to just, uh, plug again. I know I mentioned like getting my degree at LIU, but I would be totally, totally remiss if I did not mention the English and creative writing project of, uh, Tougaloo college, historically black college and university in Jackson, Mississippi. Mm -hmm. I love them. My Eagle queen, they gave me wings so I can fly. And for information about the class as a collective, of course, you can contact any of these poets individually as they've stated, but persons can communicate with me, Sean Jackson, via my email, sdkjackson26 at yahoo.com. Several of the poets have their own websites to which I can disseminate that data. And then also I can help coordinate the poets as a group or individually um, coming out to schools or to other events to read or to teach. Oh, fantastic. All right. Well, guys, uh, that's the end of our interview. Uh, thank you all so much for coming on. This was a pleasure speaking with all of you. You too. Thanks for having us. Yeah, this has been wonderful. Thanks, David. It's been amazing. <laughs> And that is our show. Uh, We were speaking today with Henry Goldcamp, Kai Mills, and Bobby J. Morris, as well as Sean Jackson from the local poetry collective, The Class. This is the Writers' Forum on WRBH, which you can catch every Thursday at 4.30 p.m., every Saturday at 8.30 a.m., and on Sundays at 1 p.m. This interview will be uploaded onto our SoundCloud page, which can be found at soundcloud.com slash WRBH Reading Radio, as well as on iTunes and Google Play. I'm David Benedetto. Until next time.